0: Good evening ladies and gentlemen and welcome to the Pen and Ink Beat podcast where I will be discussing movies, films, they're both the same thing, (laughs) games um, and music most likely and today I thought I would kick us off with a ranking of the Harry Potter film series excluding Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them because... I'm really not a fan of those movies. Um, Also, I would, you know, I'd like to ask you guys to check out the Tin Biscuit podcast. Uh, Me and him did a discussion on the film Labyrinth quite a while ago and I had a lot of fun with that podcast. Uh, That was my first experience with this kind of thing. And, you know, it kind of spurred me on to eventually do what i'm doing now so i'd like to give a lot of thanks to rick over at the timber podcast and if you check him out that would mean a lot to me um and him as well i'm sure so without further ado um this is part one of two uh concerning harry potter um i'd just like to kick it off with i'm not a massive fan of the books i um They were a big part of my childhood and some of my happier uh, memories of my youth were seeing the films and reading the books uh, with my mother. Um, And so, you know, they they do mean a great deal to me, even though, you know, at such a young age, I preferred the darker entries, which is a bit odd. Um, I'd I'd expect to have liked um, the lighter ones a lot more. However, you know, it carries over into my rankings, uh, my preferences, uh, of course. So, you know, if if that's a spoiler, then that's a spoiler. But I'd like to, uh, without further ado, I'd like to kick us off with number eight. And that is Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. And I've actually checked and this is the longest Harry Potter movie. Um, I've, I've rewatched it recently and it's it definitely feels its length to me it's uh it i mean not for everyone but for myself it drags almost unbearably um despite every single film in the series having a chunky 2 plus hour running time uh and you know it's the most mediocre harry potter film in my opinion uh it's it's solid of course i i don't think it does anything terrible of course uh, but it doesn't really do much right either Um, but I will be going over the positives and the negatives as to why I've placed it this low and to be honest my biggest positive of this is probably the snake and the spider creature design and just the overall CGI because it is you know it's quite a quite a leap Um, I mean in my personal opinion from uh, the Floss of Stone, uh, the Spiders and sna- and the Snake, the Basilisk. I can, I can see them, you know, frightening younger children. Uh, Dobby looks good. I mean, he doesn't really hold a candle to Gollum. Um, but, you know, it definitely doesn't look as dated as I expected the Chamber of Secrets to look. Um, as well, I'd like to praise the battle in the Chamber of Secrets. Now, to be honest... That was the only time in the film that I fe- felt an an actual, like, sense of tension. You know, I've seen it multiple times. I knew what was going to happen. But the way it is kind of, you know, choreographed, helmed, um, there's a lot of tension in that scene. And, you know, Harry versus the Basilisk, it's, it's up there in the top 10, top 20 moments of the series. Um, so that was brilliant. And um I'd also like to give a shout out to the uh Kenneth Branner and Alan Rickman dueling session, which is followed up by the Harry Potter and Draco Malfoy dueling session. Um I thought that was a great sequence. Uh, there was there's a lot of fun in there and you know it it sets up the interesting thing about, you know, Harry speaking parcel tongue and um I don't know, there's just a lot of fun and good stuff going on in there. Uh unfortunately I've got yeah, like I say, I've got quite a lot more to say about what I disliked about the film. And my major thing is it drags. It just drags. Um, there's not enough gripping me, uh, especially upon rewatches. I feel like if I was a younger audience member or if I was seeing this for the first time or second time, I would, I would definitely enjoy it a lot more than I do. Um, it also doesn't commit to its overall darker story as much as I would have liked. Something I feel that The Prisoner of Azkaban nailed. But we'll get to that in my next part. Because um, I feel that that film did it flawlessly. Whereas here, it feels like baby steps from The Philosopher's Stone. It feels very much a um, like a little... I, I I mean, of course, it's an extension of the Harry Potter universe, but it just feels a little too slight. I feel like with what the um, overall story is about, it could have gone a lot darker, and it could have uh, been truly great. It's just very forgettable to me. Um, not an awful lot to hang on to. I wouldn't say there's any standout performances in this film. Uh, that might be controversial or not but to me i feel everyone's everyone does a great job uh but there's no shining star here there's no um there's nothing to really hold on to and you know the the child acting is still quite awkward uh you know obviously not the fault of the children actors themselves um, but it just it doesn't hold a candle to any of the other ones in the series i feel like the first one can be forgiven for that, which I will come on to. Um but I I I feel like it was at the most clunky here. Now, there's only one more before I move on to number seven, and that's Chris Columbus. I don't feel like he should have been brought back for this brought back for this entry. You know, he's a great director. I loved Home Alone 1, I loved Home Alone 2, and I loved parts of the Philosopher's Stone. And I think he was you know, a great choice to begin the franchise. But, he doesn't do Dark well, and I don't think he quite nails the pacing or um, the magic and world building as well as he did in the first entry. Now, speaking of the Philosopher's Stone, it ranks at my number seven in the Harry Potter ranking, and uh, it has most of the same problems as the Chamber of Secrets. Only I do like this one slightly more because I feel like the world building that takes place is genuine and I feel like the runtime is earned. There's a lot to pad through, uh, and it does so, you know, keeping it fresh and interesting. Uh, I feel I also feel like there's a standout performance in this one, whereas in the Chamber of Secrets. It's a bit hit or miss. Uh, I can definitely say Robbie... I believe it's Robbie Coltrane, who plays Hagrid. Uh, apologies if I've got that wrong. Um, is... <laughs> for pun intended, uh, magical in this. He uh, he definitely nails Rubius Hagrid as a character. And I can't imagine anyone else playing the role. Um, and I do like Chris Columbus in this one. I think he was a very good choice... Coming off, like, the... Um, like I said, like, he did all the hijinks of the Home Alone films. You know, he's he's a good director. He's talented. Um, and I feel like there was a good mixture of everything in this one. Uh, it's still quite mediocre for me, though. Uh, it it drags slightly. And the, uh, the child actors are awkward. Uh, but that is obviously to be expected. Uh, I think the guy who plays... Professor Quirrell is also quite quite brilliant in this, uh, and you know it's a it's a shame we don't see him pop up again in the franchise, but he does a great job. Um, so my number six, my five and six were, uh, I expected them to be very close, but they didn't end up uh, they didn't end up turning out that way. Uh, so my next pick is Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire at number six. And, um, you know, there's definitely a lot to like about this one. I don't remember much about the book, uh, but I do remember that it was probably my favourite book. um, When we sat down, we set about reading the Harry Potter uh, books. This was the one that um, stuck with me the most, mostly because of the Triwizard Tournament and the kind of three acts, three tasks that took place in it. I thought they were all excellent in the book. And, you know, I'm I'm going to come on to that. They they feel... It's kind of a pro and a con. They're very diverse, but they feel diluted from the book. I especially remember the maze uh, being a lot more interesting in the book. You know, featuring, like, the Sphinx, uh, the questions. There's loads of monsters in there. Whereas, you know, the maze takes kind of a... More of a back seat in this one to, to what it was in the book. And the tasks themselves... Like I said, the their main strength is is their diversiveness, shall we say. Um what I did really like about this entry was uh three actors uh who I think did excellent. Um and I think that was David Tennant, who uh was Barty Crouch Jr. I thought, you know, despite his limited screen presence, uh, he didn't really have much to say. Or do but he was a threatening character uh and i feel like there's there was a lot of acting chops there i don't feel like the director took advantage of uh the talent he actually had because there's i mean whereas the last entry um and i like i say i will talk about this uh in part two i'm sure but you had the likes of gary oldman and um Michael Gambon um, and the director of The Prisoner of Azkaban absolutely knocked it out of the park. Uh, you know, Mike Newell, he has Brendan Gleeson, I believe. Um, again, I apologise if I get this wrong. Uh, it's kind of impromptu. Um but yeah, Mad-Eye Moody, he was uh, played by a phenomenal actor and... You know, again, just like Hagrid, I can't imagine another character playing mad Moody. And obviously Michael Gambon, he, he's always great as Dumbledore. I, I much prefer him over Richard Harris. Um, I feel like, you know, he apparently he whispers everything in the book and talks calmly and he just shouts here. But I, you know, I really love that. I really uh, like that they show Dumbledore is a bit more hot-headed, is he's less, you know, he keeps his cool less, he's a bit more, I feel like he's a bit more active um, rather than behind the scenes um, so that, that is great um, what I kind of disliked about this one is the director tries to outdo everyone uh, Mike Newell, I've um, see, so yeah, I've looked it up, I've researched this, apparently he just wanted to make a better film than you know, everyone previously and he didn't care to read the material he said the book was too big um and you know man you you're adapting a you're adapting a million pound million dollar franchise um you know from a very successful series of books you know why did they waste money on you know Getting a director who doesn't seem to really care about the source material, I have no idea. And um, something else that I really didn't like was that, you know, The Goblet of Fire, uh, as a film, it feels very rushed. It's very set A to set B. It's, um, you know, it's entertaining in little pockets. But the mix of, like I said, the darker stuff from Prisoner of Azkaban and the lighter romantic comedy stuff that Mike Newell tries to do here, it doesn't always mesh together, and it comes off as a pretty uneven experience. Um, I mean, I remember something I remember quite vividly uh, was from The Big Bang Theory, the guy who plays uh, Rajesh Kufripali saying that uh, the fourth Harry Potter movie was just fine, and I concur, It's, it's just fine. It's um, again solid. There's there's not as much that I dislike about it, but there's nothing. Everything I do like about it is underutilized. It's not taken full advantage of. Um, I mean, this is the Harry Potter where everyone had long haircuts, and you know it's a, it's a shame it's relegated to that because it could have been a really memorable entry, and it just kind of falls by the wayside which brings me on to my number 5 and this was my most anticipated Harry Potter film. I think this was the last one that I went to see with my with my mum in the cinema as part of the whole tradition thing. I was super stoked for it. Uh I don't remember how I felt about it because I mean it's over 10 years ago since it came out. But upon rewatch it's a bit of a disappointment, guys. Um, but before I go into that, there is a tremendous amount that I love about the Half Blood Prince, and that is, I've got to kick it off with my favourite Harry Potter opening, with Dumbledore's farewell theme playing over the, uh, you know, the snaps of the the guys from the Daily Prophet uh, and all the flashing lights and it's it's very sad, it's very powerful, and, you know, it might be one of my favourite moments in the, the entire franchise. Um, I'd also, you know, I like to play, praise the colour palette in this film as well. Sometimes they go a little bit too dark, uh, where you can't exactly see what is happening, and, you know, obviously that's a flaw in itself, but... I like how it just it feels a whole lot different from everything that came before it because of the color palette. It's definitely, you know, it's not the moody blues and uh of Asgaban or the uh the kind of slightly drained but a bit more kind of color of order of the Phoenix. It, you know, it's progressively it's got progressively greyer and uh murkier um as it goes. Another thing I really liked was Michael Gambon. Obviously, I mean, he's my favourite Dumbledore. uh, He's probably my favourite actor, uh, controversial as that may sound, uh, other than, you know, Gary Oldman and Alan Rickman in the Harry Potter series. Um, And he really comes into his own here. I think any, you know, any doubters of uh, him as Dumbledore can watch The Half-Blood Prince and be quite impressed, quite proud. Um, I think something that doesn't really get mentioned a whole, an awful lot is the Burrow fight, um, which I don't believe was in the book, but, you know, they, they did put into the film, um, where, you know, Harry obviously sees, uh, Bellatrix at the borough, he, there's the, uh, the ring of fire, he goes through into the fields, um, and it you know it's it's very it's a very claustrophobic tense scene kind of brimming with emotion because it channels that same emotion from the end of order of the phoenix uh when uh all that uh, sad stuff occurs and you can just feel harry's pain and fury uh i like how they captured that you know um even though they haven't built up uh harry and ginny very much i uh you know i still feel a lot for those two characters when they're together in peril um for whatever for whatever reason, I have no idea because I don't feel like Daniel Radcliffe and Bonnie Wright you know were always um magic <laughs> there's that word again magically uh had their chemistry on the screen I, I don't I don't feel that at all uh, if I'm quite honest um I mean we're still in the likes here guys. It it's um it's just, it was close to making the top 4 but uh no cigar I'm afraid. Um so I also like the Draco moments. Um you know they really had to nail the Draco moments because he is an essential part of this chapter especially. And I believe you know Tom Felton really shines in this film. You know he um he pulls out a great performance amongst all these other actors and actresses that, you know, are quite stellar when they appear and when they've got scenes and when they've got their time to shine. Um, And I'd say the overall emotion of this film, um, from the bit in the caves up until the very end, is, you know, it's short, it's concise. It's not what I wanted. I wanted, um, you know, the big battles. I wanted the... uh, a whole lot more to be made of it but i'd rather have a flash of brilliance and then it be gone than um a film that kind of drags on and on and on and ruins the rest of the the rest of the uh piece for me so um i mean my dislikes uh they're, they're few but like i said it feels rushed but obviously i i'm kind of okay with it because the deathly hallows part one and part two capitalizes on the bits that feel rushed from the half-blood prince and you know they're definitely a lot more fast-paced and a lot more uh about a different thing i'd like i think the half-blood prince mainly and i've i've probably got this wrong um but for me it's about grief and it's about consequence, it's about making the wrong choices and it's about living with those choices and I feel that as a film it you know it does that really well. Um, One thing I will say is that Slughorn is my least favourite of the Defence Against the Dark Arts teachers. I mean Kenneth Branagh as Gilderoy Lockhart is also very low down there um, just because he wasn't very memorable at all But uh, Slughorn, he gets so much time to be a you know a good character, a compelling character, and he's just not. Um, I think the best parts about him in this film were the flashback sequences, because he, um, you know, when he's talking to Tom Riddle, he he actually shows some you know genuine emotion, and it feels a lot more real than his kind of awkwardness. When he's talking to Dumbledore or Harry, uh, but yeah, he's he's my least favorite Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher because he just doesn't have that much to him, um, and you know, I that's quite important. I feel uh, for for you know a franchise that you know picks <laughs> picks up a Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher and then drops them for the next film, and so on and so forth. Uh another thing I didn't really like was the over reliance on relationships. Now this was in the Goblet of Fire as well, but I feel like uh the half blood Prince kind of takes it to a new level. I mean, there's so much there's so much snogging in this film, it's it's unreal. Uh which I understand, you know, you know, that all the characters getting to a point where uh relationships are, you know, highly important. You know, they're definitely a big part of the Harry Potter story. Uh it gets you to you know, gets you caring and invested about the characters. But it takes up most, if not all, of the runtime. I feel I like I think at least half of the whole film uh has this reliance on relationships where, you know, the pace just kind of stops dead for, for those moments. And, you know, some some moments are cute, some moments are funny, but they detract from the things that I really wanted to see, which was, you know, Dumbledore and Harry. Um, that re- The relationship between those two characters uh, is the thing that should have took precedent, and it's kind of dueling with the relationships between um, everyone else. Uh, so... Yeah, I mean that'll that'll do this part for now and then I mean I've got four more films to get through. Um and I've got to say this next part is a lot more difficult to rank for me because um I mean these these four I could kind of watch the films and rush through them and think you know this is a logical progression this is where I would this is where I would put this this is where I would put that but with uh, with the next four in the in the series, I I just can't do it. Um, and between yeah, you know, any one of these four could be top spot in my opinion. Um, they're all that good. Whereas uh, what I've just ranked and reviewed, I would say they're solid. Um, in some cases, mediocre. But there's definitely excellence here. There is no bad Harry Potter film, and I stand by that. So, thank you guys for joining me and bearing with me on my first podcast episode. I hope it hasn't been too rambly and I hope I haven't left out um, too much. This was expect, I expected this to be a quick one, about 10 minutes, 15 minutes, but uh, we're just over the 25 mark, I believe, now. So, um, yeah, thank you for joining me and I hope I'll see you next time to discuss my uh, next four in this ranking. Uh, See you later!